Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. podcasting here welcome to the leftist lit podcast i'm a host colin orton he they with me another host al grubby they them and today we are reading black shirts and reds by michael parenti but first we have news oh boy do we have news do you have any news you'd like to news before we really get started i was a busy person this week and did not even check the news. So you may. Fair enough. Uh, new CDC guidelines dropped this morning. What's the deets? <laughs> Bad. <laughs> yeah. Here's I'm going to, I'm going to read the guidelines, but before I read the guidelines, I'm going to read a quote from the CDC's Greta Massetti quote. This guideline acknowledges that the pandemic is not over, but also helps us move to a point where COVID-19 no longer severely disrupts our daily lives. We know COVID-19 is here to stay, she added later. It does not have to be if we had actually had an appropriate response and continued to. Oh, just you wait, Al. Oh, boy. I think you're going to you're going to like it. This is from NPR. New COVID-19 guidelines from the CDC. These are just the bullet points on the NPR infographic. Those exposed to the virus no longer required to quarantine. Unvaccinated people now have the same guidelines as vaccinated people. Students can stay in class after exposure to the virus. And it is no longer recommended to screen those without symptoms. What? We're throwing in the towel, baby. COVID-1. We're giving up. Those aren't guidelines. Those are lack thereof. That's. Yep. The CDC has thrown in the towel. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) They're calling it. What is the, there's, and we're going through a new wave right now. Yeah. There's a, there's a new wave. um, Plus uh, the white house declared a national emergency for monkeypox. I think last week. And New York is in a state of emergency for monkeypox. I so heard. we're in a double pandemic and the CDC has thrown in the towel. God damn it. I'm so tired. Which, by the way, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about last week, we didn't have an episode last week, uh, is that the coverage of the monkeypox is monstrous and is going to get people killed. Is it about uh, the way that it's being compared to the AIDS epidemic and the like stigma? The way they're, they're covering it as a gay disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get people killed straight up. Precisely. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's monstrous. What's next in fuckery? So you're familiar with CPAC, right? Unfortunately. There was a lot of weird shit at CPAC. Like a lot of weird shit at CPAC. While you're pulling that up for the listener, um, what is CPAC? Uh, it's the Conservative Political Action Conference, mm-hmm. which is basically <laughs> Republican Comic Con. <laughs> so Victor Orban was there. Why do I know that name? He's the dictator of Hungary. Yep. Oy vey. Why? Because he's been he's been kind of a darling uh of the American right recently. 
Um, or he's prime minister of Hungary. Pardon me. Oh, uh, allegedly dictator, officially prime minister. Although we know how that goes. Yeah, um, he he gave a whole speech about um, the West being at war for itself and a, a battle uh, for Western civilization against the globalists. This is relevant to our reading today. And there was a, a he's recently, you know, receiving blowback about his comments about how Hungary must not become a, quote, mixed race, unquote, country. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So he he is doing a whole thing. But the thing that I mostly <laughs> uh, that stuck in my brain because it got memed really hard from CPAC was that they had an actor at CPAC. Uh, sort of portraying a January 6th participant, which is to say they had like a 10 foot by 10 foot cage and a man in an orange jumpsuit and a MAGA hat sitting in this like prison cell, this like LARP prison cell. Mm -hmm. And he would pretend to weep and like write up tallies of how many days he'd been in prison and he would pretend to pray. Uh, They had an actor like pretending to be a January 6th participant in prison uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene went in and like knelt by his side and like promised to support him. It, it it was very weird. What fucking backwards pageantry is that? What discipline and punish theater of? Oh my god! Yeah. It, it, sorry, my chair is uh, moaning and groaning. Your chair um, also hates this news. Yeah. So that CPAC was weird. So are you familiar with the Alex Jones trial? <laughs> Yeah. So not only did Alex Jones's defense attorney accidentally send two years worth of the contents of Alex's phone to the prosecution and then take no steps to make that information private, but Alex found out about it on the stand. Uh, Again, the video video went viral and Alex has to pay 49 million uh, in damages for Sandy Hook. Which, you know, it's nice to see, like, one of the people responsible for the erosion of American, like, one of the engines driving the the right further right. It's nice to see somebody in that camp facing literally consequences of any kind. Is it too little too late? Yes. Is it anything at all? Also, yes. So it's nice to see. It's nice to see. I, I, I was watching it live, and I, I did come. When, when, <laughs> when the prosecutor revealed that. I have the stain to prove that I did, in fact. It was, yeah, it was, it was nice for me. That was, that was good. Keep that one in this bank bank. That's, so, oof. Mar-a-Lago got raided by the FBI. Yes, we discussed briefly. What did they, did they release what they found yet? Um, well, according to the Washington Post... FBI agents were searching for classified documents relating to nuclear weapons at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> like that's... <laughs> um, I laugh because of how actually insanely bad that is. Mm. Wasn't um, it a whistleblower that tipped them off too? That I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but apparently Attorney General Merrick Garland said that he personally approved the warrant to search Trump's Florida home. Woof. Uh, I'm terrified, but also intrigued. Raid yeah. all of his homes, honestly. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Because um, mm-hmm. this is, that's, 
That's certainly something. All right. <laughs> updates to follow. Yeah. Updates, updates to follow for sure. Uh, all right. Let's get into it. Black Shirts and Reds by Michael Parenti. I actually wasn't very familiar with Parenti before reading mm-hmm. this book. Like I'd seen his lectures online uh, and seen clips from them. I'd never watched them in, in their entirety, but I've seen, you know, clips. And, and I will say one of the things right off the bat about Parenti that I knew from his lectures and then was just reinforced when I started reading this is that he is eminently quotable. That is true. He has a lot of sick burns against Democrats. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Parenti knows how to use words to their maximum effect. Mm-hmm. Democrats and fascists, to be fair, obviously. <laughs> uh, I had no knowledge of Parenti at all. And we discussed uh, off of recording that I was having some trouble with this book rhetorically. But I, after reading, finishing the third chapter, I've sort of changed my tune. I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, certainly. Shall we jump in with chapter one? Oh, wait, uh, sh- uh, let me explain the concept of the book briefly. Yep. Um, so this book in general, uh, I have a quote from the preface. Even people on the left have internalized the liberal conservative ideology that equates fascism and communism as equally evil totalitarian twins, two major mass movements of the 20th century. This book attempts to show the enormous differences between fascism and communism, both past and present, uh, brackets mine, especially in regards to questions of social equality, private capital accumulation, and class interest. Basically, the book is attacking this uh, modern belief that all like um, centralized state powers, one party leaderships are the same. And this idea that like fascism and communism are the same thing in essence, which they are not. It's, you know, it's practically a, uh, a mantra of American centrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fascism and communism are the same thing. Good people on both sides. (laughs) Good people on both sides. Uh, Uh, Chapter one is rational fascism, where uh, he sort of outlines the beginnings of uh, the debate between uh, fascism and communism and then gets into how fascism, while it can look like this completely irrational, completely like unhinged, uh, pseudo mystic, uh, unreasonable ideology. It is all done for a purpose, and that purpose benefits capitalism and is th- therefore benefited, benefited by capitalists in turn. Jesus. The first subsection of this uh, uh, of this chapter is called "Plutocrats Choose Autocrats," and I think that beautifully summarizes his argument in the way of like. Fascism rhetorically doesn't make sense because it's not designed to. If you look at who benefits from fascism, it suddenly becomes eminently clear what the ideology is actually about. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking of that specific section when you talked about that CPAC uh, <laughs> prime minister in quotes. Yeah, uh, uh, Victor Orban giving his psychotic uh, race advanced racism speech. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, plutocrats at CPEC. Yeah. Uh, talks a lot about Mussolini in this section. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will add um, that Mussolini came to power because the king of Italy, 
thought that it would be a good idea to uh, appease the fascists rather than let them, you know, continue to be belligerent. He thought that it simply if you appease them, then surely they will become more moderate. Oh, yeah. The, the powers that be have been complicit or uh, assistant to fascism for as long as it's been around. Yeah, I mean, uh, the same thing happened in, in the Weimar Republic. It's uh, they tried with the beer hall putsch to take power. And then when that failed, they took power through fully legal means with the consent of the conservative party in power. Oh, yeah, baby. I have a quote um, also from the preface, but that relates to this um, about the U.S. U.S. leaders have been dedicated above all to making the world safe for global corporate investment and the private profit system. Pursuant of this goal, they have used fascism to protect capitalism while claiming to be saving democracy from communism. He has a lot of quotes that like just succinctly describe how capitalists will do this especially in the section where um whom the next section whom did the fascists support and then later on friendly to fascism do you mind if i read like all almost all of page three because it lines up beautifully with what we were talking about in uh the revised edition of end of policing oh yeah go ahead it there's there's through lines it's uh one of the things that we we see pretty regularly with with people who understand fascism is uh, they also understand what leads to fascism. To maintain profit levels, the large landowners and industrialists would have to slash wages and raise prices. The state, in turn, would have to provide them with massive subsidies and tax exemptions. To finance this corporate welfareism, the populace would have to be taxed more heavily, and social services and welfare expenditures would have to be drastically cut, measures that might sound familiar to us today. But the government was not completely free to pursue this course. By 1921, many Italian workers and peasants were unionized and had their own political organizations. With demonstrations, strikes, boycotts, factory takeovers, and the forcible occupation of farmlands, they had won the right to organize, along with concessions in wages and work conditions. To impose a full measure of austerity upon workers and peasants, the ruling economic interests would have to abolish the democratic rights that helped the masses defend their modest living standards. The solution was to smash their unions, political organizations, and civil liberties. Industrialists and big landowners wanted someone at the helm who could break the power of organized workers and farm laborers and impose a stern order on the masses. For this task, Benito Mussolini, armed with his gangs of black shirts, seemed the likely candidate. In order to engage in corporate welfareism, you need to crush the populace. And in order to crush the populace, you need to disable their ability to fight back. And what better way to do that than with marauding gangs of heavily armed right-wingers? Now, in this country, we have marauding gangs of heavily armed right-wingers, but we have actually publicly funded are union busters. Our marauding gangs of public, of heavily armed right-wingers have just been cops. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe uh, he talks a lot about um, later, he talks about mercenary, uh, U.S.-backed mercenaries in um, uh, socialist and communist states that just run around trying to destabilize things similarly. I love that he uses the term economic imperialism, which I had not read before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, it's fucked. It's mad fucked. Yeah. 
like the thing that uh, and and Parenti points this out, the thing that made the Italian king concede to Mussolini was the march on Rome, mm. uh, where you know Mussolini and I think Parenti has the number here. He doesn't, but uh, thousands of fascists literally marched on Rome like a military armed with anything they could find. Jeez. But it wasn't that that allowed him to gain government power. It was the concession of the sovereign. Mm-hmm. He, he managed to humble the sovereign with a display of hard power, but ultimately the sovereign conceded. It's always, it's always, they're complicit. They're legitimizing it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and he, he talks a lot about Hitler and the rise of the, uh, Nazis in the Weimar Republic. Mm-hmm. He points out uh, that the Nazis, something that we don't think about when we think of the Nazis most often, or at least we weren't taught about in school, is just how fucking rich they were. Um, he, men- he mentions Hitler's slush fund, which was pulled from uh, party donations and from like, where is it? I have it written down. Uh, donations from Nazi party members and supporters used for his own means. He lived in a huge mansion. Uh, there's a, a quote, is fascism merely a di- dictatorial force in the service of capitalism? That may not be all it is, but that certainly is an important part of fascism's raison d'etre, the function Hitler himself kept referring to when he talked about saving the industrialists and bankers from Bolshevism. There's this one part where he mentions that Hitler might have invented the use of likeness rights. That made me kind of cackle. He called it the personality right. Um, yeah, yeah. Which enabled just him to charge a small a look- fee for every postage stamp with his picture on it. Yeah, he just got a cut from all of the propaganda. Which is wild. And there was also in the next section, these, these uh, next couple sections, except for the rational use of irrational ideology, all sort of like go together in terms of like setting up this support for the argument that Nazis love money and love capitalists. Um, a lot of bankers, publishers, and industrialists, including the likes of Henry Ford, were huge supporters of Mussolini and shared military industrial secrets with the Nazis, including the give Adolf a chance contingent. I mean, fuck, there was the business plot. Like, the business leaders literally attempted to backdoor their way into hard power in the United States by using Smedley Butler as a pawn. Like... We've discussed SMEDs. We almost had a fucking business-led fascism in the United States a uh, hundred years early. <laughs> yeah, no, earlier than we have it now. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else should we mention in this? Uh, whom did the fascists support is the next one, which again, uh, he talks a lot about how the use of, and this is sort of the first time he brings it up, but it won't be the last. He talks about the use of anti-communism as a way, uh, as a sort of rhetorical method to crush worker organizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like crushing organized labor as a way of, quote, saving society from the red menace. Jesus Christ. If you're not a communist, you wouldn't mind if we, you know, took away your labor rights, right? Are you a red? Yeah, just... This is stuff, you know, we've we've talked about before, but this book, I think, really in chapter one, very effectively and succinctly demonstrates the fact that fascism and big business are inherently tied together. 
Oh yeah. That's pretty much what this chapter is, is just, Oh, except I would say the latter half, the, the latter half, the latter half of the chapter um, goes it more into different functions of fascism um, and the way that they, uh, how do I put this? Obfuscate their intentions to both the right and the left. But the beginning of this chapter really, really concretely sets this up. Um, let's uh, let's see. Kudos for Adolf and Benito. Same sort of deal. Let me know if I'm skipping over anything. Uh, do you mind if I read another quote? Uh, it's it's right before the personality right bit. Go ahead. Along with serving the capitalists, fascist leaders served themselves, getting in on the money at every opportunity. Their personal greed and their class loyalties were two sides of the same coin. Mussolini and his cohorts lived lavishly, cavorting within the higher circles of wealth and aristocracy. Nazi officials and SS commanders amassed personal fortunes by plundering conquered territories and stealing from concentration camp inmates and other political victims. Huge amounts were made from secretly owned, well-connected businesses and from contracting out slave labor to industrial firms like IG Farman and Krupp. Farben, pardon me, IG Farben. Yeah, like it's just, it's fascism is the front worn by kleptocracy. Ooh, I love that word. What is and that? I'll like fascism both defends and reinforces capitalism while also stripping capitalism down to its barest elements. Just the, mm. the upward transfer of wealth while crushing anyone who dares to resist it. So a trickle up effect. <laughs> a tr- yes. Uh, the next section I think is the rational use of irrational ideology, which again really well points out that fascism is not supposed to make sense. Fascism is supposed to make money and hurt people. Oh, yeah. Uh, it actually reminded me a lot of what we read in uh, Making Sense of the Alt-Right and the way that uh, that author discussed the mythos, the weird Norse shit with the Nazis, the contradicting like Christian mythology. And I mean, um, QAnon is sort of a beautiful example of that like mystic fascism in the sense that there isn't really a canon because you're supposed to be able to ascribe whatever dog shit worldview you have onto it. It's supposed to be a framework for whatever hate you already have. Yeah. There was a great, like a quote um, that relates to that. uh, The way that they villainized it's in the next section, but it relates to that so strongly the way that they villainized the Jewish people. We can can skip ahead to that because this is, I mean, it all ties together. Oh, do you mind if I read this? This Mind if I uh, read a Mussolini quote real quick? <laughs> Regardless of whether I mind or not, I'm sure it's beneficial. Go ahead. The fascist conception of life stresses the importance of the state and accepts the individual only insofar as his interests coincide with those of the state. Uh, it goes on, uh, blah, blah, blah. A, de- a dedication to peace, Mussolini wrote, quote, is hostile to fascism. Perpetual peace, he claimed in 1934, is a, quote, depressing doctrine. Only in, quote, cruel struggle and conquest do men or nations achieve their highest realizations. Though words are beautiful things, he asserted, rifles, machine guns, planes, and cannons are still more beautiful. End quote. Uh, quote, 
War alone puts the stamp of nobility upon the peoples who have the courage to meet it. Bro. Uh, and Parenti dunks on him really hard because the next line is, ironically, most Italian army conscripts had no stomach for uh, Mussolini's wars, tending to remove themselves from battle once they discovered the other side was using live ammunition. Bro. <laughs> it's... The now, cowardice. Now, one of the things that I will point out is uh, Mussolini's little list of things more beautiful than words, rifles, machine guns, gun, uh, machine guns, planes, and cannons all need to be bought and sold. All of those things make the people who own the means of production of those things quite a lot of money mm-hmm. at the expense of the taxpayer. They're also, what was that term? tyrannical weapons mm-hmm. they require small machine parts except like, for machine guns which orwell would claim is a uh, uh, actually machine guns i think it's rifles but eh, it doesn't matter um no you're right like those are a weapons of tyranny and b especially things like planes cannons etc uh but also the war machine is designed as much to make money as it is to make war and fascism is sort of about cultivating a forever war as much to enrich the owners as it is to kill. Bro, you just sent me back when I was like the first time I was ever just like shocked by a statement. Um, not the first time, but um, one time just in the car on a random day, my dad said, you know what this country needs to boost the economy? A war. We should have another war. And I was like, why father and he explained the military industrial complex to me for the first time and i was like but does that but that seems like a bad thing (laughs) that seems pretty maybe it's bad that there's a profit incentive in the ending of uh human lives who would have thunk so uh let me oh oh so yes the the uh necessitation of war and weaponry and like fucking how Mussolini must have been such a depressing hangout if he thinks that those things are better than pure human happiness like just peace well for for a quick Mussolini anecdote uh Mussolini apparently also uh this is this is uh something that he denied but that uh I think it was an American ambassador claimed uh Mussolini would love to take people on drives and at one point ran over a kid while he was driving with the American ambassador sitting in the side of in like the passenger seat uh, and said, and I may be paraphrasing because this is a while ago that I listened to this, but said essentially, what is the life of one child before the life of the state? Ah. Uh, he also routinely challenged political rivals to sword fights. God damn it. Because machismo. Because phallic imagery. And- um, <laughs> but like... Mussolini was a fascist's fascist, and like any good fascist should, he ended his life upside down, if you catch my drift. Uh, (laughs) Very, very stern. Love it. Uh, Let's see. Um, The the rational use of rational ideology. Again, stop me if I'm skipping over things we should discuss. Well, the the rational use of rational irrational ideology just basically points out the fact that, oh, I saw the realization on your face. There is one other thing. Uh, uh, no, no, please, please read the quote. I'm sorry. Oh, it wasn't a quote. I was just going to sum up the section. Oh, please sum up the section. Um, 
it just basically says none of this is unintentional. All of this is, as we've discussed in the earlier readings, all of this contradiction and all of this grandeur and mythos and uh, idealization of the state and the idealization of struggle is all for the specific purpose of, for a specific and strategic purpose of class, like ignoring class interests. But intentionally, there's a quote, I do have a quote, damn, I lied to you, um, does not reveal an indifference to class, quite the contrary, it represents a keen awareness of class interests, a well-engineered effort to mask and mute the strong class consciousnesses that existed among workers in Germany. In that crafty denial, we often find the hidden admission. What was yours? Oh, um, so the next section, if if, if you're ready to move on to the next section. Absolutely. Uh, is patriarchy and pseudo-revolution. I did. This was something that I didn't realize until reading the section. Uh, what do you have on it? Oh, um, one of the things that he points out is, again, fascism is a lot about LARPing. And the Nazis did it. The Italians did it. It was it's all about sort of this this gesturing at revolution. We see it with January 6th. It's this this mass LARP at revolution, but with no actual plan except for that held by, you know, those in power, no real objective. Nobody is totally sure what they're actually doing, because again, it's a framework on which you put your own stupid beliefs. Yeah, uh, it's a revolution to a generalized ideology that would not actually change the structure of government, if not make the structure of government even more strident to what it, is go ahead and oh well he talks a lot about um i forgot his name was it rome uh yeah it was it was ernst rome i think oh, yeah. uh, who was the gay ss leader who wasn't you know like the nazis did not attack him for his homosexuality until it became convenient for them to do so mm-hmm. because their hate it's the gay republican caucus in texas uh, coming forward and being like, we didn't expect the Republicans to be so hateful to us. We've worked so hard. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and like, as soon as you're no longer useful. And your strength uh, poses a threat. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, Hitler basically said like, as long as his homosexuality doesn't contrast with the ideology of the, of the SA, then it's fine. And then once they were in power, suddenly Rome's homosexuality did contrast with the ideology of the essay. Fucking hell. The other thing that I really wanted to point out, and I want to see if I can find the exact quote. Uh, while you find that this section does contain that quote I was thinking of earlier about um, how, in relation to your point on it was specific, the anti-Semitism was targeted at different groups of people uh uh, so while you're looking that up i'll just super patriots were told that jewish people were alien internationalists unemployed workers were told that their nemesis was the jewish capitalist and jewish banker for debtor farmers it was the jewish user etc etc very targeted not it was just you could make up any sort of stereotype even contrasting stereotypes to enforce this ideology this is kind of a long quote i apologize go ahead um In societies throughout the ages, 
If able to find the opportunity, women have attempted to limit the number of children they bear. This poses a potential problem for a fascist patriarchy that needs vast numbers of soldiers and armaments workers. Women are less able to assert their procreative rights if kept subservient and dependent. So fascist ideology extolled patriarchal authority. Every man must be a husband, a, a father, and a soldier, Il Duce said. Woman's greatest calling was to cultivate her domestic virtues, devotedly tending to the needs of her family while bearing as many offspring for the state as she could. I also pulled that. Yeah. Uh, it just goes on to talk about, you know, uh, patriarchal ideology. Uh, I'm just going to read the next paragraph. I'm so sorry. <laughs> patriarchal ideology was linked to a conservative class ideology that saw all forms of social equality as a threat to hierarchical control and privilege. The patriarchy buttressed the plutocracy. If women get out of line, what will happen to the family? And if the family goes, the entire social structure is threatened. What then will happen to the state and to the dominant class's authority, privileges, and wealth? The fascists were big on what is today called family values, though most of the top Nazi leaders could hardly be described as family men. Why does this sound familiar? It's it's I, I heard that quote and nearly shit myself uh, because that's something that I hadn't put together on my own um, or hadn't rather. It was something I sort of intuitively knew, you know, it's of course they need more workers. Of course, you will be able to force women to be broodmares if you take away their rights. But the sort of no, of course, they're going to fight to subjugate women because by subjugating women, not only do they do that, but they reinforce the existing structures, which funnel wealth upward. Mm-hmm. And I, something I have to keep reminding myself is that the family structure, the quote unquote nuclear family also benefits capitalism for those, for exactly what you were saying. If everyone is separated and doesn't think of the community as their family and is instead focused on protecting the interests of a small unit of their family, then fuck. Well, also, if you banish the woman to the realm of housework, how much longer can you keep the other members of the household at their job? <sighs> they, have no, they have no tasks to do at home. They have no cleaning, no cooking, no maintenance. They have no children to rear. They don't need to know their children. Depressing. Um, the last section of chapter one is friendly to fascism, which points out that both Britain and the USA have been incredibly friendly to uh, fascist militants the world over for the last, you know, hundred years. Oh, yeah. Not even. And they do touch on it a little just how many like, as we all know, Nazi scientists were given deals by the U.S. government to come work for them. Or like, you know, Operation Gladio. Mm -hmm. uh, fucking Operation the, Paperclip, I think, was a Nazi led. Oh, oh, that was that was us taking Nazi scientists. Yes. Uh, Gladio was us infiltrating all of our allies and putting arms caches uh, easily accessible to far right militants in places like Italy, Germany and France uh, and the UK. The fucking Contras, uh, uh. Operation Condor, the School of the Americas, like just this shit piles up of just America and Britain 
constantly funding far right militants because it helps to reinforce the status quo at the cost of human lives. Fucking God. And again, uh, Parenti puts it better than I ever could. Um, Al, who have you been? I've been Al Gropey. You can find me on my website if I ever link the fucking domain. <laughs> right now, I think it's algropey13.wix.com. Perfect, perfect. I know. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Al Gropey for my actor stuff. There'll be updates there soon. Colin, who have you been? I've been Colin Orton. Heave. You can find this podcast at Getting Informed Pod at gmail.com and at leftist lit pod on Twitter. Send us hate mail or don't. I, you know, it's fine. Uh... Hug a red shirt today. <laughs> <laughs>